volume two chapter eleven part two of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain eleven lost to her place in name part two it was so hard as to try my faith in god's goodness my heart rebelled against his decrees but just when my despair was deepest providence seemed to come to my help in a most unlooked-for manner it was winter at this time near the end of winter and very severe weather the moors were covered with snow and no one came near borsal from one week's end to another one evening about dusk i was leaving the dairy which is detached from the house and crossing the yard to go back to the kitchen when i saw a man and woman looking over the yard gate the snow beating down upon them two as miserable objects as you could see my heart was hardened against others by my own grief so i called to them to go away i had nothing to give them if we go away from here it will be to a certain death answered the man as you are a christian give us a night's shelter we left seacombe early this morning to walk to penwyn manor having a letter recommending us to the squire's charity but the walk was longer and more difficult than we knew and here we are at dark just half-way on our journey i don't ask much from you only enough to save us from perishing a night's lodging in one of your empty barns this was an appeal i could not resist there was room enough to have sheltered twenty such wanderers so i took these two up to a hayloft that was seldom used and gave them a truss of old hay for a bed and i carried them a loaf and a jug of milk with my own hands i don't know what put it into my head to wait upon them myself instead of sending the servant to them but i think it pleased me to do this humble office knowing how low my daughter had fallen and feeling as if there were some kind of atonement in my humility these people were not common wanderers i soon discovered that they were very different from the tramps who came prowling about the place in summer begging or stealing whenever they had a chance the woman was a pretty-looking gentle creature who seemed deeply grateful for small kindnesses she had not long recovered from a serious illness the husband told me and her delicate looks confirmed his statement the man spoke well if not exactly like a gentleman and his clothes though worn almost to rags were not the clothes of a working man i fancied that he was a lawyer's clerk or perhaps from his fluency of speech a broken-down methodist parson he spoke like a man accustomed to speaking in public then i conclude said maurice yes that was the impression he gave me replied mrs trevenard i went back to the house after having made them tolerably comfortable in the loft she continued and all that night i lay awake thinking about these two people they seemed to have dropped from the skies somehow so suddenly and unexpectedly had they come upon me in the winter dusk and it came into my head in that weary night that they were instruments of providence sent to help me in my trouble i had no clear thought of what they would do for me but i felt that since i should be compelled to trust someone by and by with some part of our fatal secret it would be easier and better to trust waifs and strays like these who might wander away and carry their knowledge with them than anybody else neighbour or friend i dared not trust my sole hope lay among strangers did none of the farm people know of these wanderers arrival asked maurice no the men were at their supper when i took these people to the loft 
it was a loft over an empty stable and was only used at odd times for a surplus supply of fodder i knew it was safe enough as a hiding-place so long as the people kept tolerably quiet i had warned them against making their presence known as my husband was a hard man heaven forgive me for so great a falsehood and might object to their being about the place well the snow came down thicker than ever next morning and to try and find a path across the moor would have been madness those most accustomed to the country round would have been helpless in such weather so i took the people in the loft a warm comfortable breakfast of coffee and bread and bacon and i told them that they might stay till the weather changed they were grateful i suppose they thanked and blessed me with tears i was ashamed to receive their thanks knowing my selfish thought had been only of my own trouble and how little i had cared for their distress the man told me that his name was eden and that he was a broken-down gentleman i think he said he had been in the army and had wealthy relations but they had discarded him and after trying to earn his living by the use of his talents he had fallen into extreme poverty he and his wife had come to cornwall having heard that living was cheap in the west of england i gathered from him that he had tried to pick up a living by teaching but had failed and was at last compelled to leave his lodgings and in his extremity had determined to appeal to squire penwin whom he had heard of as a wealthy man for that purpose he had rashly attempted to walk across the moor the snow having held off for a little with his weakly wife heaven help you if you had found your way to the old squire i told him he's not the man to do much for you i told them both that they might stay until the weather was better or stay till mrs eden had picked up her strength by means of rest and good plain food provided they kept themselves quiet in the loft and they blessed me again as if i had been their good angel it was a welcome boon no doubt in the course of that day it came out that mrs eden had not long before lost her first baby and that she had fretted for it a good deal this confirmed my idea that these people were instruments sent me by providence and i laid my plans and arranged everything clearly in my own mind a fortnight went by and the snow began to melt in the valleys and our men had hard work to keep the place from being flooded michael was out all day helping to cut drains to carry the water off the stackyard as the weather brightened mr eden seemed to get uneasy in his mind you'll be wanting to get rid of us ma'am he said the wayfarers must resume their journey through the wilderness of life but i told him he could stay till the weather was milder on account of his sickly wife i was not ready for them to leave yet a while and in all this time no one discovered them asked maurice no that part of the premises lies out of every one's way you may go and look at it to-morrow if you like and see what a deserted corner it is they had a fright once or twice heard the men's voices near but no one ever approached the loft i took care to pay my visits to them at meal-times when there was no one about to see me i always kept my dairy under lock and key and i used to put the supplies for my pensioners in the dairy it was easy to carry things from the dairy to the loft without being observed i fed them well gave them a few old books to read and gave mrs eden working materials and a piece of calico to make underclothes for herself and a useful gown or two into the bargain i had ample stores of all kinds hoarded up and it was easy enough for me to be charitable 
your pensioners did not grow tired of their retreat far from it they had suffered too much from actual want not to be thankful for food and shelter which cost them nothing mr eden told me that he had never been happier than in that loft i had contrived to take them over blankets and a few old cushions to sit upon and many other comforts by degrees mrs eden's health had wonderfully improved one day after she had been talking to me of the child she had lost i asked her if she could love and cherish a motherless infant confided to her care she said she could indeed with all her heart and her whole face softened at the thought it was a kind and gentle face at all times i asked her no further questions upon the subject but i felt full confidence in her a week after that i took her a new-born babe in the dead of the night a sweet little lily-faced creature dressed in the baby clothes my own fingers had stitched for my own first-born child muriel heaven knows what i suffered that night when i laid the innocent lamb in mrs eden's arms she only half wakened and scared by the suddenness of my coming i had meant to tell her that the infant was the child of one of my servants but when the time came i could not utter the lie i told her only that the child was motherless and that i confided it to her care from that hour and that on consideration of mr eden and herself taking the babe into their keeping and bringing it up as their own i would give them a good sum of money to start them in a respectable way of life but before i did they must pledge themselves never again to appear at borsalend or anywhere in the neighbourhood of borsalend and never to make any application to me on account of the child from the hour they left borsalend the child would belong wholly to them and there would be no link to connect it with me i said all this hurriedly that night but i repeated it again next day in a formal manner and made them take a solemn oath upon my bible binding them to perform their part of the bond did they stay long at borsal after the child's birth only five days for i dreaded lest the baby's crying should be heard by any one about the place mrs eden took great care of the helpless little thing and kept it wonderfully quiet but the fear of its crying haunted me day and night i was always fancying i heard it i used to start up from my pillow in the dead of the night with the sound of that child's crying in my ears and used to wonder my husband was not awakened by it although it would not have been possible for the sound to reach our bedroom if the child had cried its loudest but though i knew this the sound haunted me all the same and i determined that the eden should start directly it was reasonably safe for the infant to be moved the weather was now mild and dry the mornings were light soon after six o'clock how did you get them away secretly that was my great difficulty there was no possibility of going away in any vehicle they must go on foot and make their way back to seacombe at seacombe they would take the train and get out of the county after thinking it over a long time i decided that the safest thing would be for them to leave at half-past six o'clock in the morning when the men would be all in the fields i knew exactly what was going forward upon the farm and could make my plans accordingly it would be easy for me to take care that the maid-servant was safely employed indoors and could see nothing of mr and mrs eden's departure did you give these people much money all that i possessed in the world my secret savings of years good as my husband is and well to do though we were from the beginning it had pleased me to save a little money that was quite my own 
to dispose of as i pleased unquestioned by michael i had wronged no one in saving this money it was all the result of small economies and of self-denial my husband had given me a five-pound note for a new gown and i put the money away and turned my last silk gown instead of buying a new one or i had reared a brood of choice poultry and sold them to a neighbouring farmer the money was honestly come by and it amounted to over two hundred pounds in notes and gold i gave it to the edens in a lump now remember that this is to start you in life i said to them finally and that on consideration of this you take the responsibility of this child's maintenance henceforward and that she shall be called by your name and as you thrive she shall thrive this they pledged themselves to most solemnly mrs eden seemed honestly attached to the desolate baby already and i had no fear that it would be unkindly treated desperate as my necessities were i do not think i could have entrusted that helpless infant to any one of whose kindness i had not felt confident was the child christened when it left borcelend asked maurice he had a reason for thinking this question of considerable importance no i might have baptized it myself had it been in danger of death but the child was well enough and seemed in a fair way to live i told mr and mrs eden to have it christened as soon as they had left cornwall and settled themselves in a new neighbourhood did you tell them what name to call the infant no it was to be their child henceforward it was their business to choose its name they got safely away i suppose yes they left secretly and safely just as i had planned i shall never forget that grey morning in the chilly spring weather and the last glimpse i had of those two wanderers the woman with the child nestled to her breast wrapped in my muriel's blue cloak the cloak it had been such pleasure to me to quilt when i was a young woman mrs trevenard sighed bitterly i can remember sitting in this room at work at the beginning of my married life she said dreamily thinking what a grand thing it was to be married and the mistress of a large house and a prosperous farm i look back upon my life now nine-and-thirty years of wedded life and think how heavily the care of it weighs against the happiness and what a life of toil it has been heaping up riches and ye not know who shall gather them did you never hear any more of mr and mrs eden or the child asked maurice most anxious to hear all that was to be told by lips that must ere long be silent from that day to this not a word they have kept their promise whether they prospered or failed i know not they were neither of them past the prime of life and there seemed to me no reason why they should not get on pretty well in some small trade such as i advised them to try beginning humbly with a part of their little capital heaven knows what may have become of them the child may be dead dead years ago taking that quiet rest which will soon be mine or she may be living she may have grown up beautiful good and clever such a grandchild as you would be proud to own i should never be proud of a nameless child answered mrs trevenard gloomily the child you banished may not have been without a name forgive me if i speak plainly far be it from me to reproach you i offer you sympathy and help if help be possible but i think you acted precipitately throughout this sad business what if there were a secret marriage between your daughter and captain penwin 
such a marriage might easily have taken place during the three weeks that your daughter was away from home ostensibly on a visit to her late schoolmistress did you never question that lady it was not possible for me to do so miss barlow retired from business very soon after muriel's visit and her school passed into the hands of strangers she went abroad to live and i could never find out where to communicate with her but even if i had known where to address her i should have feared to write lest my letter should compromise muriel my one all-absorbing desire was to hide the disgrace that providence had been pleased to inflict upon our family doubtless as a chastisement for our pride what effect upon your daughter had the loss of her child ah that was terrible after the baby's birth muriel had a fever it arose from no want of care or good nursing for old mrs trevenard nursed her with unceasing devotion and there couldn't be a more skilful nurse than my mother-in-law but muriel missed the child and the loss of it preyed upon her mind and then in her feverish delirium she fancied i had taken the baby away and murdered it we had a fearful time with her old mrs trevenard and i while that delusion lasted but by care we brought her through it all as the fever passed off she grew more reasonable and understood that i had sent away the child to save her good name but she was different in her manner to me from what she had been she never kissed me or asked me to kiss her or seemed to care to have me near her i could see that my only daughter was estranged from me for ever she clung to her grandmother and it was as much as i could do by and by to get her to come downstairs and sit among us i was very anxious to do this if it was only to pacify her father for he had been anxious and fidgety all the time she was away from us and after the edens had taken the baby away i had been obliged to call in a doctor from seacombe just to satisfy michael the doctor listened to all that mrs trevenard told him about muriel and just echoed what she said and did neither good nor harm by his coming and your daughter resumed her place in the family she came among us and sat by the fire reading or sometimes singing to little martin but she seemed in all things like the ghost of her former self and it was heart-breaking to see her poor pale face she would sit with her melancholy eyes fixed on the burning logs for half an hour at a time lost in thought you may judge how i felt towards the wretch who had worked this evil when i saw his victim sitting there joyless and hopeless she who might have been so bright and glad but for him her father was dreadfully cut up by the change in muriel he would hang over her sometimes calling her his poor faded child and asking her what he could do to make her happy and to bring the roses back to her cheeks and sometimes to please him she would brighten up a little and pretend to be her old glad self but any one could see how hollow her smile was i never said my prayers night or morning without praying god to avenge my daughter's great wrongs and it never seemed to me that such a prayer was sinful did your daughter ask you what had become of her child i saved her the pain of asking that question as soon as the reason returned after the fever i told her that the child was in safe hands with kind people and would be well cared for and that she need give herself no anxiety about its fate let that dark interval in your life be forgotten muriel i said and may god forgive you as freely as i do now she made no answer except to bow her head gently as if in assent how was it that her mind gave way after this recovery i am coming to that presently 
that was the heaviest blow of all just when i was beginning to hope time would work her cure just when i fancied i could see a glimmer of the old smile brightening her pale face now and then the blow fell we were sitting round this hearth one evening muriel and her grandmother and little martin and i when michael came in looking very much agitated we asked him what was the matter the saddest thing i ever heard of for many a year he answered well we've all got our troubles there's been bad news for the squire up at penwin muriel started up with a faint cry but i caught hold of her and squeezed her hand tight to warn her against saying anything that might betray her dreadful news michael went on captain george the eldest son the one we know so well has been murdered by the savages lord only knows what those red devils did to him scalped him they say tied him to a tree and tortured him muriel gave one long piercing scream and dropped upon the stone floor we lifted her up and carried her to bed and the doctor was sent for post haste i was sore afraid she would let out her secret in her father's hearing or the doctor's when she came round out of that death-like swoon but i need not have feared her mind was quite gone and all her talk was mere disjointed raving from that day to this she has been the helpless hopeless creature you have seen her we have kept her out of a madhouse by keeping her close under old mrs trevenard's care we have done all we could think of to soften the misery of her state but she has never for the briefest interval recovered her reason and now i have told you all mr clissold without reserve confessing the wrong i have done as freely as when i acknowledge my sins to my god the sick woman sank back upon the pillows pale to the lips that indomitable strength of will which had been ever the distinguishing mark of her character had sustained her throughout this prolonged effort and deeply as he compassionated the sufferer's state maurice felt that it was vital to obtain from her at once and without delay all the information she could give him i am grateful to you for having honoured me with your confidence mrs trevenard he said kindly and now that you have so fully trusted me receive once more my solemn promise to do all that may lie in my power to obtain justice for your daughter and your daughter's child i am inclined to think that captain penwin may have been less base than you believe him and that his unhappy death alone may have prevented his making some atonement or revealing the fact of a secret marriage between himself and your daughter i can hardly think that a girl brought up as your daughter was brought up could be so easy a victim as you imagine her to have been my endeavour shall be to ascertain the truth upon this point of marriage or no marriage a young london clergyman a friend of mine has told me many a curious fact connected with private marriages stray leaves of family history and i see no reason why this captain penwin who impressed you as an honourable and a well-meaning man should not have contracted such a union with your daughter god grant that it was so ejaculated mrs trevenard i should go down to my grave with an easier mind if i could believe george penwin something less of a villain than i have considered him for the last twenty years when i heard of his dreadful death in the canadian forest i said to myself the almighty avenger of all wrongs has heard my prayer it shall be my endeavour to find your granddaughter said maurice i have a curious fancy upon that point but perhaps a foolish fancy and therefore hardly worth speaking about pray tell me what it is it is really too foolish and might only mislead you 
all i ask is that you will give me any detail which may help me in my attempt to discover the girl you entrusted to mr and mrs eden what kind of man was this mr eden for instance the sound of wheels rolling towards the door prevented this question being answered in another moment the dog-cart drew up before the porch father and son alighted and came into the room bringing a gust of fresh moorland air along with them the opportunity of obtaining further detail from mrs trevenard was gone for the time being and it might be long before maurice again found himself alone with her or found her inclined to speak he heartily wished that the attractions of seacombe market or of the homely hostelry where the farmers eat their substantial two o'clock dinner had detained michael trevenard and his son just a little longer the invalid was more cheerful that evening than she had been for a long time and something of the old air of domestic comfort seemed to return to the homestead parlour as maurice and the family sat at tea both her husband and son noticed the improvement you must be rare good company said the farmer for bridget looks ever so much brighter for spending the afternoon with you cheer up old lady we may cheat the doctors after all he added bending over his wife affectionately as he handed her a cup of tea the only refreshment she now enjoyed the doctors may have their own way about me michael answered mrs trevenard if i can only go down to my grave with my mind pretty easy her son drew his chair beside hers after tea and sat with his hand in hers clinging to her with melancholy fondness sadly expectant of the coming day when there would be nothing on this earth more distant from him than that motherly hand maurice clissold had pledged himself to spend the next day at penwin where there was to be a cottager's flower show in which mrs penwin and miss bellingham were deeply interested it was the squire's wife who had organized the annual exhibition and stimulated the love of floriculture in the peasant mind by the offers of various useful and attractive prizes a silver watch a handsome rosewood tea-caddy a delft dinner service a copper tea-kettle prizes which were dear to the taste of the competing floriculturists and which were eagerly competed for the most gigantic yellow roses the longest and greenest cucumbers the finest bunches of grapes the most mathematically correct dahlias were produced within a ten-mile radius of penwin and by this simple means the cottage gardens and flower-pots and latticed casements which mrs penwin beheld in her walks and drives were things of beauty and a perennial source of joy the show was held in a vast circular marquee erected in the grounds of the manor-house lady cheshunt was one of the lady adjudicators and sat in state gorgeously attired in a tea-leaf coloured silk fearfully and wonderfully made by a regent street dressmaker who tyrannised over her customers and seemed to gratify a malicious disposition by inflicting hideous combinations of form and colour upon her two submissive patronesses i really can't say i think it pretty dear lady cheshunt said madge when her friend asked her opinion of this tea-leaf coloured abomination no more do i my love replied the dowager calmly but it's strikingly ugly all your county people will be blazing in what they call pretty colours this dirty greenish-brown is chic after the cottage flower show came a german tea for the gentlefolks and croquet and archery and the usual amount of indiscriminate flirtation which accompanies these sports maurice found himself amongst pleasant sunshiny people and almost enjoyed himself which seemed in some wise treason against justina but even in those piney glades while the click of the croquet-balls was sounding to an accompaniment of silvery laughter his fancy went back to the bloomsbury parlour and the happy hours he had wasted there and he longed to sit in his old corner reading victor hugo or sipping tea out of the dragon china 
it was late when he drove back to borsal in michael trevenard's dog-cart which had been placed at his disposal for the day when he came down to breakfast next morning mrs trevenard's chair was empty this startled him for ill as she was she had been rigidly regular in her habits coming downstairs at eight o'clock every morning and only retiring when the rest of the family went to bed on questioning mr trevenard he heard that the invalid was much weaker this morning she had not been able to rise it's a bad sign when bridget gives way added michael despondently she's not one to knock under while she has strength to bear up against her weakness the next day and the next the chair remained empty maurice hung about the farm hardly knowing what to do with himself in this time of trouble yet nowise willing to desert his post on the third day he was summoned to mrs trevenard's room phoebe the housemaid came in quest of him to an old orchard where he was fond of smoking his cigar missus is very bad sir and i believe she's asked to see you said the girl breathless maurice hurried to the house and to mrs trevenard's room husband and son were standing near the bed and the dying woman lay with her hand clasped in martin's her eyes looking with a strangely eager expression towards the door at the sight of maurice her wan face brightened ever so little and she gave a faint choking cry want tell you something she gasped half inarticulately he went close to the bed and leaned over her dear mrs trevenard i am listening a bible gave family bible that was all she spoke no more after this and before nightfall the windows were darkened at borsalend and the careful housewife had gone to that land where there is no thought of sordid things End of Volume 2, Chapter 11